People, welcome to Private Equity Laid Bear, the podcast. Today I have Joe with me from CDC, I believe a South African office. And we are going to talk about private debt, yet another private debt podcast, but this time focusing on Africa. So in previous podcasts, we talked about American private debt, European private debt, and Asian private debt. And now uh, we are looking at Africa. And uh, in fact, uh, Joe, it seems to me that when Africa private equity started really like in the 40s with CDC and, and then a bit later IFC, it started with private debt, not really private equity. A lot of uh, investments in Africa, private markets was private debt. Um, and so do we, did, did it then go away and then coming back now? What's, what's, what's the landscape? Ludo, thanks. Thanks for having me, firstly. Um, and I think you are right. I think a lot of the initial investments within that space um, reflected convertible instruments, which had a, a feature both of equity and, and of debt. Um, and then obviously more, you know, over more recently, the development of private equity has been well documented. But in terms of the landscape as it currently sits, if we kind of take a step back, what, what we, what CDC had done just under two years ago was do a mapping exercise and try to evaluate the current landscape um, of the private uh, of private credit, private debt on the continent. Um, and, and some of the key features I'm happy to kind of unpack on this, on this podcast, but obviously the market has shifted significantly. It is far more, it is quite nascent, still very early stage. And at the moment dominated by um, mezzanine funds, uh, which, which are providing kind of more bespoke, more tailored uh, risk capital uh, with, with debt features and some equity upside uh, instruments as well. So, so, so then these mezzanine funds are, are offering instruments like the ones there was in the 40s, 50s, 60s in, in uh, CDC and, and others and IFC and the like, right? So these, mez, so these mez funds are typically, you know, Correct. So they're providing instruments that have features of debt. So they would typically have a coupon, typically have uh, downside protections, um, and also have the flexibility to provide some level of upside in their in in their funding. But I think the key feature is these are focused on the mid market space more broadly, um, which is quite different, perhaps, from the development mindset of, as you mentioned, the 40s and 50s, which was which was looking to provide risk capital across a spectrum of opportunities. So beyond just corporates, um, there was obviously thinking around infrastructure funding, uh, reflective of an underdeveloped capital market at that time. But the mess funds that we look at and that we're working with and, and that that we captured in that in that market mapping exercise uh, are it's I think it's fair to say are focused on mid-market corporates. Um, and that's, that's, that's an important distinction. And, and, and so you say, and this is quite new then. Um, and, and is there, so there is no things like unitranche uh, vehicles, like, you know, the private debt in, in Europe is, and in the US is very much like this unitranche lending. Um, so you don't have that in, in Africa. It, it's only like mezzanine. So the, the senior debt is still provided by banks, I guess. That's, uh, yes, that's correct. I think we, the, as I mentioned, the market is is still nascent, still new, but is evolving. Um, when I, 
you know, when I joined CDC, so my background's mostly been in banking uh, on the continent. And when I joined CDC late last year, you know, uh, looking to focus on private credit funds and developing the asset class. Um, sorry, when you say on, on continent, which continent? Sorry, Africa. Okay. Right. So when, when, when I joined CDC late last year, we certainly my sense was um, I, I, I was quite surprised by how quickly the opportunity set in, from, in, in terms of senior credit strategies or proposals evolved. So uh, the initial portfolio construction is dominated by MES funds. But over the last kind of uh, eight months, uh, we've seen a lot of opportunities in the senior credit space in the kind of high yield senior opportunity. So I, I see. I, I, so it is converging. So, it is converging to the European model or American model of like basically offering unit tranche very very quickly. I think it is evolving, and there's a lot of there's a few drivers for that, and that's I think that's where we want to see the market the market go because it it you know as you as you would imagine it means that there's more opportunities for capital in the mid market space. It's got the best chance of scaling. Um, and so the hope really is that Africa is, is able to evolve in that direction, but perhaps more quickly because of the need, because of some key drivers, because of the need to get capital into, 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 into the corporate space. What, why is it, maybe that's a side question, but why is it CDC is going via funds? You say, you know, I'm reviewing these funds to invest in mezzanine and so on. It's especially striking me because CDC started again in the mid forties by direct lending to companies in Africa they hired you out of a bank and yet they go via a fund and paying an extra layer of fee in order to lend into companies in Africa where you have a pretty good coverage of Africa. Why do you have to go via intermediaries and leave money on the table rather than just you directly lending money? So I, I, I don't think it's a question of either or. I think the idea really is to assess the opportunity. So to the extent that CDC has a presence in the in, in a specific geography and has access to those to those markets, I think CDC is, is can either invest or lend directly. Um, but the idea is to complement that footprint and that ability with a model, an intermediary model. Um, and in that instance, then work with strong um, fund managers that have the origination capability, strong structuring capability, um, and then work with them and provide capital to those markets using those intermediaries. So it's, it's very much a complementary strategy. And the idea really is to get the right type of capital into the markets that need it the most, either directly or via the intermediary model. And But if you move towards like more senior lending, it's usually seen as a bit safer and easier. So maybe you, you can do more direct there maybe, no? Well, yes, uh, yes, you could do more direct lending in the senior space, but I think the important element is financial additionality. So to the extent that the banks are able to do it, or indeed some of um, you know, existing structures within an ecosystem are able to provide that senior capital, I think it's fine for them to do that. I think where, where CDC and other DFIs would want to play a significant role is where there is, there is a dislocation. And, yeah. and then we are, and we are then able to provide some level of financial additionality. So, what is the main dislocation then in in Africa banking? Why aren't the banks in Africa lending to viable businesses? It's always hard for an economist to understand that, right? So, if you can get a normal interest rate at a normal risk 
uh, uh, level, why don't you do it as a bank? So what, what's the problem? Well, there's several reasons. Um, I think from an African perspective, and one of the factors is, sorry, Ludo, can you still hear me? Yes, sorry. Okay. One of the factors has been um, a focus on asset-based lending as opposed to cash flow lending. So that, that certainly limits, that limits the, the ability to get risk capital or flexible financing into corporates or SMEs. Um, and that's driven by several factors. Again, underdeveloped capital market, banks are highly regulated, so they have specific capital constraints. And so by their very nature, they then become certainly more conservative in, in their approach. Um, and I think that's been exacerbated in the current environment where the risk view has just been heightened and banks are, are, are perhaps then looking to back names that they are comfortable with or that they know well, as opposed to take any, as opposed to funding kind of new growth opportunities. And that dislocation is where, is where we see an opportunity, particularly for private credit to play a meaningful role. Um, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons we're very keen to develop that asset. But, but it does mean you're taking extra risk because you're backing names that are less proven and, and, and more frontier, right? So, so, so you are taking extra risk. So are you compensated properly for this ex extra risk? Or you think it was not that much riskier, just banks are being silly? Well, I think, I think what you find with a lot of the managers that we're, back, that we're looking to work with is, well, there's two elements. One, they are, str they, they are strong technically so they, and they have great relationships. And the idea really is that these, these fund managers aren't taking, are looking to fund corporates that are bankable names, but perhaps uh, the banks, you know, are they, they're not on the bank's radar in terms of, so, you know, relationship names that they want to bank, or perhaps they're looking for funding that is perhaps more, more bespoke and more structured, um, particularly to achieve the growth that they need. And the banks just simply aren't there in terms of their ability, particularly African banks where, as I mentioned, it's more asset-based funding, you know. So, for example, if you want five dollars, you know, they want to have an, a fixed asset worth five dollars, um, which is quite different from a cash flow view, which then looks to look to see what's the cash generative ability of that business. Where, where, where do you think this comes from? Why would like you know English banks be pretty comfortable with cash flow lending, whereas you're saying banks in Africa? And in, I mean, I'm conscious Africa is very big and diverse but are more asset-based? Uh, why, why, what is it they don't see or why is that? I, Ludo, I think it's really just, I, I, think, I think the market is shifting and is continuing to evolve. Um, but I think the idea, the reality is, it is still a, a, a developing and a relative to some of the more developed markets. And you're right, I mean, Africa, it's, it's not fair to kind of paint it with one brush. They are more sophisticated markets within the African landscape, you know, South Africa being one um, and a few other markets where there is a more, there are, there are banks are able to take a cash flow view, a more nuanced view and provide the kind of bespoke funding. But I think more generally, particularly for the kind of risk capital where the, the, the private credit funds are able to play, I think one of the challenges they face is, you know, as I mentioned, capital constraints. And in this, and, and in a, and in an environment like we are in at the moment, it's it's almost a natural reaction to to kind of be risk off and, and take a view of let's see how this plays out. Um, and I, so I think it's less about an ability or a view, uh, 
achieve it. I think it's certainly the reality of banks is they are highly regulated. They have to, they, they, they manage depositors' money. They have to be careful with how they fund. And in an environment like we're in now, it's, it's expected that they would, they would perhaps lean towards being more, lean towards kind of larger corporates or, 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 or businesses that they, are more, that they are more familiar with. But the reality is that in this environment, this is when the capital needs to be funded. These are the kind of, you know, the SMEs and the mid-corporates, mid-market corporates actually need this growth capital. And that financial, financial additionality is where we, we, we see an opportunity, particularly for this asset. The, the, the diversity of Africa is something that, that strikes me. And I always have difficulties understanding that because like you sitting in South Africa and, you know, like you said, the banks have more of a cash flow lending view, etc. And when we are talking, you know, we are talking about, oh, we, you know, debt uh, prov provision in, in Africa. But I mean, you, you would have like Angola, Gabon, Mauritania, Sudan. They are like so far away from South Africa, both in distance, both in, uh, uh, in economic context. How, how is it possible for CDC, even if they have an office in South Africa, to be exposed to these sorts of countries? Um, well, there's, I mean, there's several, there's several ways of, of achieving that, uh, Ludo. I think, as you mentioned, one, one is the intermediary model, the other is a direct model. And I think it's fair to say the CDC continues to look at these markets and explore ways to access those markets more directly um, and in an effective manner. Obviously, very challenging in the current environment with limited travel. Um, but I think it's fair to say, you know, we, we've got strong region offices in East Africa, West Africa, and in, and in South Africa, as well as in Egypt. More recently, we opened an office there. And we haven't had any challenges in reaching markets or challenging markets or frontier markets in Africa and in South Asia because of, because of our ability, to, to, um, because of our ability to, to operate in those markets and the relationships that we have. You have to remember, Ludo, CDC is, you know, Seven, over 70 years old of supporting businesses in Africa and South Asia. Yeah, no, I know. They are so very experienced in impact investors. So yeah. I, I think there, I don't I don't think there's a necessarily I don't think there's necessarily a challenge in reaching the markets and the and the opportunities um, given our experience and given our continuing growing presence in these in these in, in these markets. It, it's funny you mentioned Egypt. It came up also on, on recent forecasts. I think Egypt seems to be like the, the the latest hot uh, uh, country in private equity um, out there. Um, so, so you mentioned that you know there are opportunities to for 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 mezzanine lending and senior lending. There is dislocation, so there is a way to like get decent returns lending to all these companies in a, in a continent that is like underserved by banks generally. And the problem is that this money needs to come from somewhere. Um, it usually is. I mean, DFIs provide money, but outside of DFIs, the usual suspects would be the pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, et cetera. And when it comes to Africa, it seems that most pension funds who are sitting you know, in the Netherlands, the US, Canada, uh, are a bit nervous about uh, sending and committing money to Africa, uh, same for sovereign wealth funds and the like. Is that something you're observing or is that changing? Or you know, it seems that people got burnt a bit in the late 2000s in Africa and, and are a bit reluctant to, to go back there? Or, or is that something that, that is now very much changing? 
I'm glad you brought that up, Ludo, and I think that's that's a key strategic objective for our team and for CDC. Um, I think that in our minds, the the growth of private credit, you know, the DFIs will, will always play a, a, a critical anchor and catalytic role. Um, but ultimately, to in order for this asset class to scale and to actually get you know, the right forms of capital into these markets and into the corporates that, that need the capital. It's important, uh, it's important that we're able to mobilize commercial investment, commercial investors into this asset class. And, and I think what, we, what we're trying to position private credit is for investors looking to diversify and increasingly those that are taking a risk adjusted view on opportunities it is an interesting and a compelling and a compelling case for the reasons I, I stated. You know, downside protection, um, strong strong business, strong managers that are able to structure great uh, structure market comparable returns, um, and and indeed I think we view this. You know, so ultimately what we're trying to do is position this asset class to, as you mentioned, institutional investors more broadly, particularly ones that are focused on the emerging markets. But I think the way we see this evolving is, you know, if we're able to mobilize this capital, if we're able to show that this is an interesting asset class and it performs well, ultimately the African institutional investors will start to look at this asset class and deploy their capital into that space. And suddenly what you then have is a lot more innovation. You suddenly have opportunities to get local currency funds raised. And you suddenly have local, you start suddenly have regional funds that are able to get local currency at a longer tenor, which is still quite new outside of, again, the kind of more developed ecosystems on the, in Africa. And so ultimately that's really where, where we're heading. It's, 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 in, it's in positioning an asset class that, you know, it's anchored by DFIs, but is, has a compelling story for those that are able to take a risk adjusted return view. Um, because, I, because at the moment still very nascent. And, and I think as you rightly pointed out, typically there is, um, Investors looking at Africa take an absolute review, an absolute view, and, and have high return expectations. But I think for private credit, there is an opportunity to take to to get to enter into an interesting asset class that can provide solid returns for a decent amount of risk in markets that are growing and that are beginning to get exciting, um, even in this in this current environment. Because let, let's let's put a number um, to be concrete. So, how much money was raised by Africa private debt for the all of Africa uh, in a, in a given year recently? Well, what kind of numbers are we talking about? So, I think I mean more recently, some of the stats that we have just north of three hundred million dollars was raised in twenty eighteen, which is kind of the recent number that we have. Um, for private credit in the African space, which, 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 which relative to, you know, emerging markets more broadly, and obviously if you compare to Europe and the US is, is small, and again, reflective of, of the nascent nature of the asset class. But I think mm -hmm. it's, sorry, go ahead, Ludo. No, it's, it's, it, I, I just wanted to put it in context for people to visualize that when you say it's small, it, it really is small. Uh, $300 million is basically the average equity check in an LBO in the, in US, in the US or Europe. Like it's a single deal, right? There's a kind of money that will be deployed on one deal in, 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 in the US or Europe. 
in a private equity transaction. And that amount, this $300 million, is what has been raised for the whole of African continent, which again is pretty big, um, for, for private debt. So when we are talking about small and nascent, we, we are really talking small and nascent. That's true, but a lot's happened in the, in the time since, right? I mean, you know, I can't kind of mention names, but already the fundraising activity for 2021 gives us a lot of, is making us quite excited at the opportunity set. Um, I think there'll be, we'll, we'll be announcing a, a few funds over the next coming weeks and months that um, easily surpass that figure. And there's, there's a couple of drivers that I've already alluded to, you know, the, you know, increasingly institutional investors looking at this asset class, the need for credit and funding into the mid-market space, uh, the market dislocation, again, driving some of that activity. So, you know, 2018, as recent as that sounds, a lot's happened in the time since. Um, and it's fair to say a lot of it's been driven by our current economic situation and the need to address the market dislocation. And, and of course, CDC and its partner DFIs have been a big part of that, that movement, a lot of that, a big part of that drive. Um, and ultimately, I think to kind of continue that, that trajectory um, and indeed to accelerate it to an extent, it will be important to get commercial capital into this asset class to help, to help develop it. And, and, you know, like we, we've talked about, you know, the need of, of getting more commercial people involved, like, you know, the, the pension funds in, 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 in um, Europe, in America. For a lot of these players, the idea that you're going to lend money to a company like based in Angola or, 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 or Zambia is, is pretty wild, right? Like you're going to make a loan to a company. We are not sure how this accounting standard works. Like, do they, do they, you know, how do we check their numbers? How, you know, can we be sure that we will be repaid? What kind of recourse do we have if, if they don't repay? People are a bit nervous about, like, you know, the institutions in these countries and, and, and how much trust they can put. Do, do you have any comments on that? Like, is it exaggerated? Is, it's, it, what's the situation? Well, there, there's real risk and there's the perceived risk of investing on the continent in Africa. Um, and ultimately, to get that capital flow into these markets, one has to bridge that gap between the real risk and the perceived risk. And a lot of that is going to involve educating these investors about the African continent and the opportunity set. And you're absolutely right. I think it, it is a, for a lot, of, a lot of the institutions outside of Africa, you know, you know the continent can be nebulous. It can be a bit uh, out there. Um, but ultimately, we, the idea is, you know, if you can look at some of the DFIs providing capital and anchoring these opportunities and committing capital into these markets, some of them which are quite diff difficult, um, the, the hope is that the commercial investors will start to see this opportunity and will get some comfort from investing alongside the likes of CDC in these markets, um, firstly. But I think they, you're absolutely right. I think there is there is an education that has to be had. There is a almost a handholding exercise that needs to take place, and 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 ultimately to develop any new asset class that that has to happen, whether it's in Africa or in even in a more developed 
market. Ultimately, when you're offering something new, uh, when you're offering something new to an investor, there is going to be an education process that takes place. And I think Africa suffers from that perceived risk. Um, but ultimately, what we're hoping is, and I think we've done a lot to try and achieve that. And certainly, as the world kind of shifts into the world shifts its focus into impact investing, I think again that gap is being bridged significantly because of because of that 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 new focus and the availability of information. A lot of these markets, in as much as they appear frontier, have evolved significantly in the last kind of 10, 15 years. You mentioned accounting standards, you mentioned kind of legal ecosystems. The world is a lot is a much smaller place than it was a decades back. And I think because of that availability of information, because of the ability, because of the roles that DFIs can play in, 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 in showing the commercial investors where the opportunities are and how to invest, I think that we should be able to start to bridge that that gap between the real risk of investing in Africa and the perceived risk. Okay, so you're saying the institutions are now sorted. Uh, it's just a matter of education. People still think like Africa is still in the 1990s and it has evolved a lot. And so it's just a matter of education. Well, I, I think that's, a, that's an important element. I mean, there is, the risk is there. Um, there's, there's no two ways about it. It is in some markets, some markets slightly more frontier than others. Um, but ultimately, you know, but we're, but ultimately, I think the opportunity remains for an institution or an investor looking to to generate solid returns um, to do so in that on the African continent. I think it's particularly for real economy assets. And uh, maybe to, to 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 finish on on you know CDC uh, like over DFIs have have an impact angle. You mentioned the impact just earlier. Um, when it comes to direct lending, the impact is obviously very direct, right? You give directly money to, to, to businesses. Um, so are there some industries where you do not invest? Are there, are there some criteria? Do you use like criteria like additionality, which you mentioned earlier? You know, there was, there was some controversies about, you know, IFC when they came to Africa, they, they backed things like Domino Pizza in South Africa and, and some luxury hotels in, in, in other places. Um, and, and that was controversial because, you know, uh, I would certainly call, uh, uh, you know, junk food uh, a negative impact investment. And luxury hotel is probably not really uh, an additional uh, investment. So how, how do you look at, at, at these things of additionality impact? Do you choose certain sector? Do you exclude certain companies? Do you impose certain rules on, on them, et cetera? I think, I think it's fair to say that impact is at the heart of what CDC does. Um, and it's a key element of, it's, 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 it is the important element in every investment, either directly or via intermediaries. And, and, and for, you know, and I think where we add, so particularly for the intermediary model, particularly for private credit funds, um, I think where CDC is, is beginning to add a lot of value and showing a lot of value is in helping the newer funds and indeed even the more established ones achieve best in class standards from an environmental and social and indeed governance perspective. Um, and really starting to work with these fund managers and showing them that ultimately being best in class in this, in this space not only mitigates your risk at a portfolio or a fund level, but actually has commercial benefits. It improves your valuations, it opens your, your, your business and your fund to 
increased pools of capital. And ultimately, I think that's, you know, that's the value we, we show. Uh, and we're seeing that not only DFIs, Ludo, but even commercial investors are really starting to apply their minds to impact, but also really just a lot of these themes like, like environmental and social standards, like governance standards. And indeed, um, at the moment, climate is such a topical issue. Um, and, and, and we're seeing commercial and DFIs, commercial investors and DFIs actually helping a lot of the newer, a lot of fund managers and direct like, investee companies think through how they can start to work towards uh, a climate policy uh, and a roadmap towards adherence to the Paris Accord. So these, I think that's where we, we, we certainly are continuing to add value. Um, and like I mentioned, I think impact is, is, at, is at the core of what, what we are looking to do. And that will continue to be, these themes will continue to be important, um, even, especially now as, as, as we look to, to work our way out of this, uh, this COVID environment. Maybe uh, a last uh, uh, one, and uh, sorry if it's a bit on the spot, but the, do you have any example of, of like a loan that you've refused because of ESG issues or, or some direct private credit funds that you refuse to invest into because of ESG issues? Uh, any examples like that of, of, of what that means like concretely? Sure, I mean, I think what I can say is certainly based on our responsible investment principles, when we look at, you know, more recently, we've got a fund that we're looking to invest in. Um, we have excuse rights. We have excuse rights to not have our capital invested in downstream oil and gas. Um, and so that's based on our existing fossil fuel policy. Uh, and, and, but I think beyond just CDC, LPs, potential LPs, commercial investors and DFIs are increasingly thinking through how they're in, where that capital will be deployed, even by, via intermediaries. Um, and so I think what we're going to see is a, a trend towards uh, not just exclusion rights, but even at a fund level, where LPs require that fund managers think through uh, climate policy and where they want to, where the, where, the, where the funding can be deployed. So excluding themselves from certain sectors that uh, Aren't, aren't quite aligned with the prevailing thinking around around climate. So you know I can't obviously name any names, but certainly that's that's one way we've tried to address. Um, we've tried to reflect our thinking and our climate policy and our fossil fuels policy in in how we've deployed our capital via an intermediary. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Joe, for taking the time today and 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 walking us through uh, the private debt. Uh, in Africa, it's it's a nascent asset class, but it's growing extremely fast. So it was absolutely awesome that we could catch it with you at at the beginning of his of his journey. So this was uh, private debt uh, in Africa laid bare. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate it if you liked it. Congratulations on your acquisition of one more piece of knowledge. Thank you.